You're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. You'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. In each episode, you'll hear about the market opportunities and trends driving the industry forward. TechNest is proudly produced by Finn Ledger in partnership with HW Media. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about the process to buying a home as a blind auction? Maybe you have, uh, but maybe not use those exact words. Well, I, I've got an interesting guest today, Jordan Allen. He's the CEO and co-founder of a company called Dorsey. And they think there's a better way of buying homes. Instead of just submitting an offer and not knowing if you're the top offer, maybe you're offer number nine, right? How do you know what to do? How do you know what to help your client with? You know, you as a buyer, what do you need to do to be able to get the home? You still don't know what's going to turn out on the inspection. Can you really just waive the appraisal? What if you didn't have to worry about any of that stuff? And that's what Jordan is out to create. So in this episode, it's really interesting. When we started recording, there was currently a live Dorsey listing with people bidding for the right to purchase a home in Texas. And from, you know, when I first looked at it prior to the recording, I think the house was just around like 700,000 or 700 something thousand. When we started recording, it was at 750,000 and then it ended up closing at $767,000, but was originally listed for $600,000. We go into all the details of the Dorsey platform, the features, what the uniqueness of these listings, the pricing structure and the future of real estate sales in the U.S., Let's jump in and hear what Jordan has to say. Hey, Jordan. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Nate. Excited to be here today. I'm excited, too. And what a way to kick off. And before I before I spoil what, what we're both watching here live <laughs> on the internet, um, we'll, we'll start as, as we always do. Please go ahead and introduce yourself. Let everyone know who you are and what you do. Absolutely. Um, so I'm Jordan. I'm the CEO of Dorsey. I'll give you a quick background on myself. I um, kind of first career was in the Army, did the Airborne Ranger program. After that, uh, ended up starting a company called Stay Alfred, uh, kind of my first rodeo in the prop tech venture space. Absolutely loved it. It was the, kind of the first love of my life from a career standpoint. And then, you know, um, over the last kind of 18 months or so, you know, I've submitted 70 offers on homes and it was just absolutely painful. Um, and so we figured out kind of a solution for it. And so we founded Dorsey, uh, where I'm the CEO and, uh, it's been 14 months of kind of rocking and rolling and ups and downs. It's been, it's been incredible. So, all right. So let's, let's dive right into it. The big problem you're trying to solve, you kind of alluded to it, the, the offer. So what is, what is Dorsey solving? Yeah, absolutely. So when you look at the the residential real estate in the United States, it's the largest asset class on the planet. There's 6 million homes sold per year. It's 3 trillion in annual sales. And real estate agents spend 14 million hours writing offers that lose. And so the reason why this process is so miserable is because it's technically a blind auction. Buyers have to guess the price 
they have to guess which terms they keep in their offer or which ones they they toss out. They have no idea what their competition's doing. Sellers don't really know where to even start the listing price for their home, so they're guessing too. And then, like to top it off, all the gotchas that kind of killed the deal and put all the risk in it happen after the offer's you know, accepted, like the inspection and other due diligence. So what Dorsey does is we put all that um, due diligence up front and allow buyers and their agents to come on and bid in real time as many times as they need to win. So we have a truly fair, open, and transparent um, auction-style process for real estate agents. I love it. And and right now, live on the site, there, there, it's it's just gone up again. Uh, we're watching. We're watching one of. This is kind of. We did not plan this, by the way. There is currently uh, a, a listings uh, or a listing that you have here. That how do you say that? New Braunfels, Texas, right? Yep. It's it's like a it's a small kind of German style town, forty five minutes outside of Austin, Texas. Uh, it currently has fifty five bids. Uh, There's nine questions that came in. There's, there's five bidders that are, that are going after it. And what's incredible is this is a brand new development. These haven't even been built yet. So they're selling these off of the renderings and where developers typically do a cost plus pricing. Now we've radically transformed that into a demand based pricing. So if they don't get the price they want, they don't even build these things. Wow. That's that is uh, there's so much packed into that statement. Just so there'll be timestamp this right before we went live, we had seven hundred fifty thousand on this property. It's currently at seven hundred fifty nine thousand five hundred, and was originally listed at six hundred thousand. We'll check back in with this periodically as we go through the episode because <laughs> I think this is going to be interesting to see where it ends up. Um, and so uh, before, but, but you know, we'll let that aside, set that aside. So walk me through though, you know, you, you were putting in all these offers. Are, are you an investor? Are you, you have that many personal properties? Like why, yep. why were you going through that? And then when was the moment you were like, wait, this is the problem I need to solve for because you weren't previously in the transactional business of buying and selling. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so growing up, my dad worked in an aluminum factory and it was constant cycles of, you know, are you going to have a job or are you not? And he decided kind of in the late 90s, like, let's get into investor properties. So he started buying some some rental properties. So at a young age, I got to kind of experience that, good and bad. Um, and, you know, my first career in the military, I was able to deploy to both Iraq and Afghanistan. I spent about three years over there as an officer. Absolutely loved it. Um, and I was pretty smart with my money. So I saved up... Uh, all of it and bought duplexes and triplexes, not in the greatest parts of town and in my hometown of Spokane, but uh, nonetheless was able to invest in real estate. And I just found a passion for it. I absolutely love it. Um, I feel like I was put on earth to be at this intersection of real estate technology and brand, which is where I will spend the rest of my career. And uh, so anyways, I've, I've bought roughly a hundred homes over the last call it 15 years. And it's always been a miserable process. I hate selling. I get offers that are like a wide shot group, one at 400, one at 350, one at 300. Like that's a big gap between offers again, because buyers are guessing. And so, you know, what, what's, what my life has been like for the last, you know, 18 months, you know, I guess 24 months now is I'll find a place that I like and I want to buy it. And I'll call my agent and I'll say, Hey agent, I want to buy this place. 
cool, let's write an offer. What do you want to do? Well, what should I do? Well, what do you want to do? And so we guess. And then about 45 minutes later, we come up with an offer. Um, sometimes I'll sign three or four offers on the same place. Ultimately, just to find out that I lost. And I call my agent. I'm like, just tell me what the hell it's going to take to win this thing. And so then they like, you know, sometimes they'll just make up a number, come up 50,000. And I'll ask, where did you get that number? I just think that's the number it's going to take to win. And I'm like, I'm out. And so, you know, although they're investment properties, I still get excited. I'll still like start picking out flooring and paint colors and lining up contractors because I think for sure I'm going to win. And then it turns out like I'm in ninth place. And that like, how hard do you run when you think you're in first place? You know, when you and then you find out you're in ninth place, like maybe you could have ran a little bit harder to win that race. But you don't even know. See, that's the thing about what you you talked about as like a blind auction. You have no idea if you're in. You, you can't even get confirmation that yeah, you are the the winning bidder. Typically, like that's not that's not what the uh, listing the listing agent doesn't no. have an incentive to tell you that. You know, a, a good listing agent will just make sure you put in your highest and best, right? Because they just want which is unbelievable. Which is unbelievable that that happens. So, so we're getting ready to, um, you know, go through a, a fundraise again soon. So we've been like really deep in, uh, in research. Mm-hmm. And Zillow came out with a with a large survey, and thirty seven percent of sellers cried during the selling process of their home. Thirty. Wait, what? Twenty percent. 37%, I'll send you the link, 37% of sellers cried during the selling Why? process. Of, of those surveyed, of the 20% that cried, or of the of the ones that cried, 20% cried more than five times. <laughs> I mean, it's an emotional process. Like, is that is that the point? Like, it's like, because it's so emotional or... or... It, well, it's also, but it's because you're, it's like you're gambling, you're the, it's highs and lows and you're gambling with like the, the most precious asset and the most valuable asset in your life. You shouldn't be guessing. You should know, like you shouldn't have to like write an offer on a price and then afterwards go do an inspection and only you get to go do it and find out what you just bought. Right. Imagine going on Amazon, clicking buy now. And it's like, well, Hey, that price that we showed you, that's not the actual price. Submit an offer and we'll let you know in seven days if we ship you this product. And so then you wait for seven days and then you get it and you're like, this isn't even the product that I wanted. Like, I don't want to renegotiate now. And so we're like, to be clear, we are not disrupting the real estate agent. We are disrupting this miserable blind auction process sure. that exists today. Yeah. And, and, and so, and, and cause we've talked about the product before. And so I've, you know, I've got a little bit of opportunity behind the curtain here and I think that's one of the things I really appreciate is that is like we don't have to tear everything down. Sometimes it's just a little remodel that can go a long way here. And this yeah. is a process for some that, that may be a little bit more cut and dry and maybe a little bit less roller coaster. It, it offers a little bit of, of transparency. What's been the reception from those in the industry? So I think most of the real estate agents that we've met with go through kind of a 12-step process. There's like denial, anger, and then eventually some form of acceptance. Sometimes that happens in three minutes. Sometimes that happens in six months. There's a few cases where that's still like, I'm not holding my breath. It could be a decade before that that comes around. Sure. But I, I think, you know, 
if over a long enough period of time, consumers are going to get what they want. And, you know, there's so much capital pouring into various solutions to get, you know, buyers, the homes they want. And really there isn't a lot of solutions for sellers. And like, that's the way, that's what we think we are is we're a process to get sellers the most, the highest market bearing price for their home. But the byproduct of that is that a buyer who actually really wants that home has the ability to get it on the first try, not finally accept a home after the 30th offer. And they're like, I think we can live with the five foot ceilings in the basement. Let's just take it because they're so exhausted. And then they hate the home that they just bought. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I had the, the fortunate and unfortunate experience of being a broker for uh, a short while. And, um, you know, for friends and even clients, like I, I saw that happen where, you know, you get beat up on the first, it only takes like two or three times that you get beat up and then it, you know, okay, our budget was 200, but we're going to put in for 260 because we just can't lose this again. I can't go through that again. You know what I mean? Like, and that's a, that's a rough, that's not a, that's not a healthy position. If you think about it by and large, 6 million properties bought and sold every year, can't have a lot of people going through that. Yeah. Well, hey, I, I went on like 30 bad dates, so I'm just going to marry the next person that I go on a date with. <laughs> yeah, that, you know what I mean? It's like, it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, you know. Yeah. I'd love to hear uh, what's some of the feedback that you've heard from both agents and, and sellers as to why they chose to use Dorsey and then, you know, how yeah. they, they uh, express the, you know, the, the experience in going through the process as this is such a change for a lot of people. Absolutely. Well, what you're seeing right now is we're going through the biggest drought of listings in the last 50 years. And so every listing for a real estate agent is a precious commodity that is Mm. like, it's a guaranteed paycheck. You're going to sell the home. And so to go risk it and try some new process, we're going after like not your early adopters, but like your early, early innovators, even before that, mm-hmm. who are willing to try something new. Like they're generally your more successful agents willing to try something new because they have more listings to give. And so what happens is here's where the flywheel kicks in. When you when you have a good listing, mm-hmm. the buyer's agents that come on to bid then become listing agents who list that create more buyer's agents that come on and bid and that flywheel starts to happen. So we had one listing in Alpharetta, Georgia, outside of Atlanta. It had 140 showings, 70 registered bidders. It was a, it was like watching a Georgia, Alabama football game. Wow. And um, ended up selling for $57,000 over the, the reserve price. The seller was absolutely thrilled but so many agents tuned in to watch that property oh, because okay. the agent is also like an influencer, uh, does a bunch of YouTube uh, videos. He's an EXP agent and, and does extremely well. And so that one listing has now turned into 20 more. And it's also turned into $120 million in contracted listing value. And so that was just off the first one. It just keeps going and going and going. That's incredible. That's that that honestly is uh, phenomenal, and it's great to hear that you have you genuinely are, are generating then true net promoters, which is you know one of the, I mean that's the that that that's what every business aims to generate. 
I mean, everybody, you know, most people hate to lose. I particularly hate to lose, but I think, you know, the millennial segment wants to know in that transparency of like, Hey, I lost. That's okay. But I want to know why I lost. Yeah. And so with this process, you know why, because you were in control as the buyer and you said, I don't want to bid anymore, whether you can afford it or whether whatever reason it's not because your yeah. buyer's agent didn't go to high school with the listing agent. It wasn't because they weren't in the same office. You know, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of reasons why sometimes buyers aren't able to get the home they want. And it's not because they yeah. can't afford it. Like that's one of the biggest problems we have right now is, Hey, that thing on the shelf, I want it. I can afford to buy it yet. I still can't yeah. like, this is frustrating. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. The amount of frustration, uh, and it, it is an extremely challenging market. Um, you know, I, I, I love watching, uh, every Monday, the Altos research group puts out a, uh, residential real estate report and, and Mike, uh, CEO there, he, he goes through and every week he's almost decline in inventory and just like, how much love this is, uh, this is incredible. I want I want to flip uh, gears here a little bit. So I, I was doing some digging on the internet, and you guys have had a few a uh, little bit of press here and there, and, and some coverage, and it, which is great. The, some, one of the criticisms that came up is that people think that this may be showing too many cards. You know, as a listing agent, you're you want to hold back and protect information that is favorable to your client and. You know, again, going back to that, you know, just submit your highest and best, right? No escalation clauses. Just give your best offer kind of thing, right? Um, but how, how do you respond yeah. to those that say that this model, it gives up too much leverage for the seller and, you know, agents aren't really going to want to do that? So what you're talking about is kind of haggling and horse trading. And like one of the, you know, things we talk about at the office all the time is even horses aren't sold via horse trading anymore. They're sold at auction. And what we're trying to provide is an efficiency tool for real estate agents. Imagine a future where you've got a platform like this where you can sell 10 homes in a day. You can make more money than you ever made. And so maybe there's less agents, but the ones that are, are still around are you know, absolute experts. They know how to get the home ready, present the home, how to set the terms, how to get everything right, line up, you know, as many buyers as they can. And, you know, mm -hmm. that's the future of where this is going. It's like you're already seeing it happening with commission compression. So what's going to happen in the future is, is those commissions continue to get compressed, which we have nothing to do with. Agents need to make it up in volume. And the only way to make it up in volume is to have efficiency. Yeah. You can't just work more hours. That's not going to help the, the work-life balance. Yeah. And, yeah. and a lot of them are already working 15, 16 hours a day. Like if the ones that are good and responsive to their clients, it's, it's a lot of work. But how many phone calls do agents take? Hey, did you get my offer? What do I need to do to win? Did you get it? Are you sure? Can you check your inbox? Hey, I texted you three times. Did you get it? From like 12 different people. Like that's not your highest and best use. Your highest and best use is getting more sellers to list their home with mm -hmm. you well that the, the gary keller model I, I i drank the kool-aid you know and this is not even planned i don't i'm not even an agent but why this is on my desk <laughs> the millionaire real estate agent book um i don't know why it's on my desk because it, i page through it every once in a while but the leads listings leverage of course you know building a big business has been proven you know you can do that as an agent you know 
primarily through listings. You can do it as a buyer's agent as well, but it's a, v- a very different model and can be very labor intensive without uh, a, you know, a good specialty. I want to shift gears here just a little bit here. Um, you know, one thing I want to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious about this, the, the, the sales and marketing flow of this, right? Because it works with agents, it works with the sellers, but which of them is finding Dorsey and coming and saying, let's, let's give this a shot because this is a new thing and we heard about it, right? Then maybe the neighbor saw their friend sell and, and they were interested or an agent saw another agent doing it and so they were interested yep. in going it. Like, what are you seeing happen or is it both of them coming to Dorsey and saying, hey, we want to give this a shot? So it's both, but for us, the Dorsey store on its shelves has to have, you know, has to have listings to really attract the buyers from coming in. If we just attract nothing but buyers, there's nothing for them on our store essentially to buy. So um, getting listing agents is like the number one focus for us right now. Got it. Okay. And and then once once you get the listing, you know, obviously you guys are a business, so Dorsey's got to make money somewhere. Where does Dorsey make money alongside this? Yeah, so we so we're because we're still in seed round, we're experimenting constantly with this. So here's where we've kind of landed. The first three listings, we charge the winning buyer one percent if they win and if it meets reserve. That way the buyer has skin in the game to move through to close and they're submitting a, an authentic offer on the home without renegotiation. It worked incredibly well. Buyer's agents hated it. So they're like, my buyer already knows they're paying me 3%. So then we went back and said, well, hey, sellers who are already more traditionally the ones, you know, paying for both agent fees for now. um, And they were more receptive to it. So we found that like sellers are typically able to do it where we think this is going to land. The way for us to scale is to have agents be able to self onboard their properties like you would on Airbnb. Mm that simple to, to list their home. Um, so there will probably be like a self onboarding lower fixed fee to do it or uh, you win, we win. So you don't pay anything. We absolutely ball this listing out. And if it, uh, we, we charge 1% over the reserve price. So say the home is going to sell for, for 400,000. Once it gets over 400,000, we'll take that first 4,000 and then the rest will go back to the seller and the listing agent. Got it. By the way, the bidding has ended. The, the bid, I just saw that. The bidding has tw- ended. 20 minutes later, this thing has been going. I've been watching it now prior to the interview for 45 minutes, getting down to like 30 seconds and a new bid would roll in. And it's now at 767. 767 originally listed for $600,000. And, which is going to lead me right into uh, an interesting question here, I think. So as I was watching this, uh, you know, the time was clock- ticking down and it was like three minutes were left and then a bid would roll in and the clock would reset. Talk to me about that feature, why you guys do that and, you know, wh- you know what, what, what made you even imp- implement that? Feature? Yeah. Yeah. So some of our... Um... One of our board members was former eBay, Zillow, Glassdoor, and really kind of has deep connections into uh, into eBay. So we've been able to connect with some of the, the folks there. They've ran millions and millions of tests. And, you know, they've there's all kinds of uh, sniping features where you could come in last millisecond. And it was like, who's 
you know, browser extension could come in and qu quicker, but we made a very conscious decision early on. This is somebody's home. You're not sniping, you know, a pair of tennis shoes or a, you know, a, a Nintendo 64. This is somebody's house. So yeah. you, like to create the true fair and unbiased and open process, we created an anti-sniping feature where any bid that comes in under the last three minutes resets the clock back to three minutes it, three minutes is still a short period of time, but it's enough time to, hey, do we do we want to keep going or not? Um, and you don't have to commit, you know, a million dollars higher. It can go up 500 or or $1,000 more. So right. it's, it's not like a huge or it's not a huge decision point. Yeah. No, I, I think it's very, I mean, it's a very thoughtful uh, step in thinking about this whole process and how this can be better. And, you know, um, for anyone who's ever lost anything on eBay... I mean, I can't imagine applying the pain of that to the level of a house. So I've been there, done that, and just like I can, I can just I can relive that right now. I'm feeling it again, <laughs> you know. And I don't, I don't want to go too far into it, but um, I want to talk about the platform just a little bit here about the sales and marketing of the listings because you guys do, you know. Again, it's like this listing. This isn't this isn't just what the listing is on like your standard websites, right? There's there's a little bit more that goes into some of these listings, yeah, and absolutely. I think the trend we've seen shopping online isn't has never been more important. Seeing the property in full has never been more important. You guys already have this thing, you know. I mean, it's been inspected. It's it. You have the full inspection report available. Like walk me through some of those features that really enables the transparency for the buyer to have confidence yeah. to, to make these bids. So, so there's, there's two things I'd like to talk about that really make this thing work. Number one is the endowment principle and the endowment principle states a human being values an item they own more than that exact same item if they didn't own it. So when a buyer comes in and submits a bid, they start to take virtual ownership of that property and they want to claim what's theirs. Like it's almost theirs. So that's where the bidding comes mm. in. But in order to make that work, we also apply the linkage principle. And the linkage principle states, the more you disclose on an item, the more you de-risk that item, buyers bake in some kind of a price deduction for the unknown. So when you disclose fully about the condition, but also disclose where all the other bids are at, you've given buyers now the confidence to make educated decisions. All the buyers have information symmetry at that point. Mm -hmm. And so that's where like you're creating confidence. You know exactly what you're getting. That property that we just talked about, you know, like I said, it hasn't been built yet, but it has the builder's warranty. It has the quick facts. Right. It has more information about the builder. It's got furniture packages, site maps, preferred lenders, standard building specifications. All this is done up front. So you know you know what you're getting. If you look at some of the homes that we sold in Atlanta, we have an agent uh, named Rob Smith down there. And he puts together some of the most detailed listings that we've seen. Termite bonds, radon tests. Like he gives buyers all the answers to the test. What am I buying? So now you know what to pay and what you're getting. Yeah. Before you write an offer, Love it. not after. Yeah, it makes it, it makes so much sense to do that, and you kind of like what you said, like de-risking. It also gives me the buyer confidence to say, well, at least this will be taken care of, and if we ever go to sell, like this is good, or like we know where this was at. Versus, 
you know, one of the properties that I have in Washington, I vaguely know they repaired the roof. I have no idea when. And so I can't really give good confidence, even in my answer to the next person of how old the yeah. roof is or when certain things have been in, improved. And so it gives almost like this ledger on the house of really what what's happened there. And, and yeah, and if you've ever bought a car and it comes with service records and the owner's manual, that's like... Well, the problem too is, yeah, one of the, the other biggest problems is sellers are guessing too. Mm-hmm. Where should I list my house at? Well, one sold down the street that's 500 square feet bigger with a bigger view, but it's 25 years older. And it's like, that isn't like that comp, there might've been different interest rates. There might've been different inventory on the market at that time with different agents, with different buyers. There's so many different factors that go involved that go to it. And then a lot of the time, sellers don't get to know the true condition of their home either until an yeah. inspection is done and it's done too late. So look at the confidence you have when inspe- when an inspection has been done on your home and you know what the buyers are going to find in advance. Do you think the market moves too fast now for the traditional CMA? I just think that like, hey, each home is unique and there is an emotional value that's not stored on a- in an Azure cloud. We've looked at like if go look at New Braunfels and go see what price per square foot and go see what like these homes should be selling for. We've had homes that we've looked at various like appraisal grade AVMs and they should have sold for 1.2, 1.3. They're selling for 1.8. Does that mean that we're selling them for way more than they should? No, it's just like we're letting the market determine what the value of these homes are. And, you know, people are willing to pay more. But in the, but right. the vicious cycles happen in down markets too where, hey, you price your home too high. They sit for too long. Now it's a, pr- a price cutting machine. And then eventually some go into foreclosure, which are already sold at auction. Right, right. Well, I want to shift here a little bit to uh, some, some, some metrics and, and some uniqueness here. Let's talk about geo markets. You mentioned, Anna, where, else are, where are some other markets that you're starting to see some pickup and in interest in Dorsey? Yeah, San Diego, Austin, uh, Atlanta has been great for us. We're starting to get some Florida cities. Um, you know, there is something to be said about, you know, markets where there's already been some tech disruption that have come in, whether it's like an open door type of a provider, some of the buy before you sell. You know, we're based in Spokane. Almost zero venture dollars have poured into to Spokane real estate agents. So if you want to see what real estate looks like kind of prior to the Dust Bowl, like that's how deals are still done. But when you go to more like tech forward cities, uh, it's a it's a much stronger demand for us. Like out here in the west of, of Rapid City, South Dakota, probably yeah, probably a little probably, closer to, to Spokane. They're begging. They're begging. Like we get demos nearly every day from Rapid City. Hey, let me tell you something. We have high speed Internet. I'll have you know. OK, <laughs> so it's actually faster Internet I have here than I did in my downtown condo in Chicago. So. Um, that's hilarious. There's... I can, I can that. <laughs> what have you, um, you mentioned a few things, right? You, you know, having some agents, maybe like live streaming the, the, the auctions, but what are some other, uh, activities that's really been helping Dorsey grow? What's been driving the growth? Yeah. So, um, you know, when you get agents that are kind of your bell cow agents that everybody follows, they're, they're kind of the, your leaders in the market. When we get those agents to list with us, it's kind of a stamp of approval for all the other agents to come on and, and use the platform. So, you know, it's not a just add water to Dorsey and this thing works. 
there's still like, did you get the home prepared? Did you make sure like, you know, did you get the seller to list low? The worst thing you can do in an auction is start too high and then the room's quiet. The lower you, like eBay did, um, again, did testing. They proved that the lower you start on an item, the higher you close because you bring in a larger buyer pool at the beginning, which is, which is counterintuitive. And I think agents would normally like to do that, but it's too burdensome on the process to receive 90 offers because you started too low. Right, right. Yeah. And, and especially do that. that I remember our managing broker, you know, if we were going to take that tactic, her recommendation was always the same of do not allow escalation clauses because the complication that just gets inserted once you have escalation clauses and lots of offers really is quite well, a liability. Escalation clauses should be illegal. I mean, I feel like they should be illegal. It's like, hey, what, you know, you want to come work for Dorsey? Well, what salary do you want? Well, I'll take, you know, because it, it works the other way for employment, but, oh, you know, I, well, I joined for 50, but I'll, you know, I'd like to get a hundred. Well, once you, sh- once you give that person disclosure on what you're, where you're at, like, you're probably going to get a job offer for 50,000. Like you shouldn't be giving the seller what your highest price is. Like you should just be coming just above where the market's already at. Sure. Yeah. Or, or I mean, what you think it's worth, if it, what, it, what it's worth to you and yeah. you know if it's higher if it's lower um let, let me ask you this um you i know you guys are still seat stage and still new but what's something that hasn't worked where you realize hey this is in the direction we want to go absolutely um well i got a laundry list of those we could go through <laughs> i think the i think the biggest learning lesson that we've had in the biggest product pivot is when we first started, we left the entire process or the entire um, window open for bidding. So if it was going to be listed for for seven days or 10 days, it was open for bidding the entire time. And what would happen is the listing agent and the, the seller would be, hey, nobody's coming on to bid. This platform must be broke. But like typical auction style fashion, people don't come in until the very end. And so what we did is we changed it. So we came in, came up with a showing period where nobody can come on and bid. So it doesn't make the seller feel like anything's wrong. Then on the last day, you create this hyper competitive, almost combustion chamber of bidding where, and and we know before that process kicks off, if there's any registered bidders for the property. So if there's not like, there's a way for us to delay it or, you know, there's something else that, that happened with the price. The other thing, and like, this doesn't always go over well with agents, agents like the list on a Thursday and review offers on Sunday. Like, I don't know about most people, but I got plans almost every weekend. Sometimes I'm out of town. I can't just drop everything on a dime and go view a property and have the confidence to buy it. So yes, you can sell homes in a day or three days or four days. But what we have found is over two weekends, we get the most amount of bidders and buyers agents to come on. People feel more confident about it. They know what they're getting. They didn't feel like they were rushed. And that's what's been producing the best result. So uh, the longer the showing period, the better, and then going through a showing period followed by a bidding period. And it's getting to the point now where, you know, in markets where they've seen, you know, 20 Dorsey listings, like they don't come into the last 20 minutes anyways, which is, which is like, that's also scary to have no activity. And then you're holding out, you're waiting and you're waiting. Yeah. So we're we're seeing the, the bidding periods in the future. They might be an hour, 20 minutes. Wow. 
so it would start off with a scheduled amount of time, but then obviously there is the uh, the, the 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 anti-swiping feature, yeah. if you will, uh, to to you know that yeah. may prolong it beyond its original intended period. Well, what's really what's what I love is so Australia as a country pivoted to an auction style model in the late '60s, and they did that to create more competition and reduce uh, reduce fees. So what happens is the listing agent prepares the home and they do three weeks of open houses and due diligence. If you want to bring your termite inspectors or your handyman or your whatever you want to bring, you can bring it on the last day, which is typically held on a weekend. Hundreds of people gather buyers, neighbors, spectators. There's caravans that go from auction to auction to auction standing out in front of, in the front yard. The listing agent gets up on the front steps and they do a paddle raise it lasts 15 minutes. The highest bidder is determined. They put 10% down on the spot. They never see it again, but they don't need to because they knew what they were getting. And then the, the, the listing agent moves on to the next house. And that listing agent sells 10 homes on a Saturday. That's, I mean, I can't imagine selling 10 homes in a single day. But also, what a what a, an exciting day it must be doing paddle raises to, Absolutely. to, sell, to sell. Well, I mean, like you see your neighbor, you see a, a sign go up on your neighbor's house and it takes you three months to find out like what happened. And like, there's just something that's intriguing and kind of voyeuristic to want to know, like all the bids, questions, comments about your, you know, your neighbor's yeah. home. Uh, we have a question from the audience. Uh, for those of you listening, every once in a while, you'll have an opportunity to, Submit your questions on Twitter. You can tweet me at Nate Smoyer or at TechNest Podcast to submit your questions. A good buddy hitting from uh, The Real Deal New York, publisher, editor, director. He uh, posted a few questions here. And so I, I thought oh, it would no. be good to throw these at you. These are totally unplanned. Did Off not script, send these man. in pre-show Off notes. script. No. Dang it. Yeah, no. Right. <laughs> um, do, you have a, do you have a sense of how much interest is coming from professional short-term investors versus lay people? I think it depends on the home. So when we see properties in that like 30 to 40th percentile of, of price, um, they're well-suited for first-time home buyers or investors because the mortgage can be covered, you know, with the rent. Um, so we see more investors there. But once you start getting in that like 50, 60, and 70th percentile of, of home values in a market, it's it's almost all like, owner occupied uh mm. they'll live in the home got it and then uh i'll go ahead and we'll, i'll take two of the questions here from him uh another one was uh, asking about integrations so what services will you be integrating uh mentions uh matterport for tours and then title mortgage services yeah absolutely the vision that we have long term is that when that clock hits zero the home is sold so we already do uh, the home inspection up front with some of the new desktop appraisal software, like you can do the appraisal in advance. Every single home that we've had has uh, been appraised to the exact dollar amount. And the reason why is because we give that to the appraiser and it's hard to argue what market value on the home mm -hmm. is when they can see that it started yep. here at a certain point and it went up and there were incremental bids. Um, you know, but I love this concept of having every bidder as a cash offer or, you know, they're just as good as cash. And so when that home sells, it's closed, done, title, escrow, wow. appraisal, everything was done in advance. They just waited for the price to get done. 
Just like seamless is just as seamless as buying anything else online. That just sounds so good. Well, and if it was less complex and less expensive to sell your home, maybe instead of six million six million homes sold per year, maybe there would be eighteen million homes sold per year. Because some of the reasons I haven't sold properties in the past is it's just you know it takes thirty to forty percent of your equity out of the deal every time you sell a home, just in you know the ten percent closing costs. Yeah. Let me ask you, why is now the time to build Dorsey? You know, that's a good question. Um, so there's other auction platforms out there. There's Concierge Auction, Christie's, Sotheby's on the high end. They're, smell, they're selling Will Smith's Malibu Mansion type properties. Then you Be have, careful. Yeah, I know. There's a... <laughs> I could have used somebody else, and I probably should have at this point. Um on the other end, you have HubZoo and Zoom and Auction.com that were really built in 2009 to liquidate all the bank-owned properties. So auctions already exist in real estate on the low end and the high end. But the big middle, every home is still sold at auction, but it's a one-round blind auction with you know no technology involved. And I think that you know, there's an article that comes out in the Real Deal or the Wall Street Journal or somewhere about how miserable the home buying process is. That um, right. you know, it's just now it seems like consumers are more aware of what's going on and they want that transparency in the deal. And the government agrees. The DOJ stepping in and changing up the the commission structure in a major way. Yeah, yeah. Well, so so so. I have a question about that. I mean, the trend of com- compressing commissions is ongoing. And um, my, my my favorite thing to ask people is when they say discount brokerage, what do they mean? Uh, because that implies that there is a set price. Um, but yeah. it's a purely negotiable. You know, well, I mean, if you look at your financial services, are, are the people that are running trillion dollar hedge funds that are charging 25 basis points unsophisticated or discount or anything like they're the sharpest people on the planet real estate is still a lot more local than that so i don't know that it ever moves into that category per se but maybe if you're a great agent you can sell a home anywhere imagine that but i i have yeah and i realized i was not a great agent (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, commercial commercial brokers do. Commercial brokers, if you if you if you are working for you know CBRE and have a Walmart or a Microsoft contract, you're signing leases all over yeah, the country. Right. But you might be based in Arkansas. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right there. Um, I'll switch gears a little bit here. So you, you've raised a little bit uh, to get Dorsey up off the ground, proving concept. When anyone looks at the pool of investors. It is a it is a very impressive range of investors from uh, quite a few different companies, uh, and I'll let you if you want to give any of them shout outs or mentions here. But can you tell me uh, how how did you pull the the eclectic group of investors together that you did, um, and then what what's the plans moving forward with uh, fundraising? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing I'd like to give myself a little bit of a pat on the back for, and I don't do this very often. I'm really proud about this. You know, nearly every single one of my short-term rental competitors is an investor now in Dorsey. So Francis from Sonder, 
you know, Chris Herndon from the Guild, uh, both Andrew Kitchell and Joe Freeman from Lyric, the uh, guys from Zeus. You know, all of these all of these competitors are now you know. In you pressure. got Sam Parr from I got the Sam Hustle. Parr. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm uh, probably going to meet up with him here soon in, in Austin. That guy's brilliant. You going down to his ranch? Uh, I'm I'm his, hoping his, to. I that asked new ranch. We, I was going to ask him if we could go shoot some guns down there, but I don't know if that's his thing or not. So we'll there you go. He has to say. <laughs> but also, you know, we got uh, Adam Newman's fund came in and invested, and those guys have been absolutely incredible. Um, Ag Adventures Kunal, that guy's. I don't know if you've met up with him before. Brilliant uh, newcomer, hung, like as hungry as they get, trying to make a name for himself in the space, and is just uh, a brilliant mind. So we've got all these folks and, you know, and even Joe Montana's fund came in and invested, which uh, real estate agents love that. They're like, when can I meet Joe? And it's like, well, you know. <laughs> that's that's the uh, the annual Dorsey giveaway. Sell a home on Dorsey and be entered to catch a touchdown pass from Joe Montana at the Christmas party in Spokane, well, you know, Washington. I so. so I randomly get this phone call and it's from the Bay Area. And I know this, maybe there's discrimination here, but like I answer phone calls from New York and Bay area at a higher rate than other areas. And so <laughs> I, uh, so I get this call from the Bay area and it's like, Hey Jordan, this is Joe. And I'm like, okay, who's pranking me? And it was, it was Joe Montana and he was, you know, congratulating me. And, I'm, and I was like, I honestly didn't even know if you like knew that you invested in Dorsey because I'm sure you have like an investment team with a huge fund and you've invested in a lot. And he's like, they go over like every Monday, they go over like all their, you know, investor uh, or their portfolio company updates and, and everything else. So it was just cool. Like, you know, that's pretty cool guy from Spokane, Washington on the phone with Joe Montana. So every one of my neighbors heard about that for about two months and they're annoyed about it. <laughs> just put a little sign in the window. Joe Montana once gave me a phone call. You know, just, just, and just make sure oh, they, yeah. they see that there. Uh, we're we're going to shift gears here to the bottom end of the show to my favorite segment called For the Future. For the Future is where I get to ask each guest who comes from the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Jordan, are you ready to play? I'm ready to play, and I'm All also right. nervous about this. Let's, let's do this. Question number one, where is Dorsey one year from now? One year from now, uh, we've done a billion dollars in transactions and we'll say we have a hundred thousand users. Wow. That might be, I might need to go look at the financial model. So I don't know if we can edit this later, but I love it. Ambitious. Uh, I wouldn't expect anything else. Question number two, will residential prices in real estate decline, remain flat or increase over the next 12 months? And reasons why you think so. You know, well, if the Fed continues to increase interest rates at every session, I think affordability goes down. But there's just such a huge undersupply of homes. They're estimating 6 million homes short. We can't build our way out of this. 1.5 million builders in the space left in 2009 and never came back. You know, unless there's some like massive uh, immigration initiatives to you know, and we can bring in some like talented, you know, home builders from other places. I just don't know how we build our way out of this uh, for a long time coming. So I think it remains uh, a little above flat. I think it, it continues to, they continue to increase. You know, I just interviewed the CEO, uh, Michael, uh, from a company called Land Search, 
and uh, his episode will be airing next week after this one. And uh, it's a land marketplace, and uh, he, you know, can see where people are shopping from for land. And it's not just the U.S. There is a very large appetite from outside the U.S. in purchasing land and purchasing U.S. property. And so we talk about the U.S. fundamentals, but I think maybe one thing that's getting passed over is the the level of foreign interest and appetite. And if we don't uh, create new inventory, it just is, it, you know, well, it's, a, it's a pretty tight squeeze. Yeah. Well, you also have uh, hedge funds that had 10% of their portfolio in cash that now have to deploy that because it's worth 20% less mm-hmm. than it was. And so you can go buy a 700 unit development of DR Horton single family homes and just sit on it for two years. You don't even care if there's renters in it or not, just because you got to park your cash somewhere so you don't lose money on it. That is above my pay grade. Moving on to question number three. Yeah. (laughs) What's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? Well, clearly the, the, the blind offer process, I think still happens, you know, uh, a lot of listing agents like to have more control over the deal. Um, you know, keep people from kind of seeing what's going on behind the scenes, but I I think that continues on. Like that's not going to get disrupted anytime soon. All right. Last one here. What's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? You know, I don't know the last time you've went uh, on like a, a home showing, but that lockbox that it drops out of the bottom, you know, coming from like when I first started in the short term rental space, the residential real estate space was way further advanced in technology than the short term oh, yeah. space was. And that is like they have leapfrogged, you know, 10,000 times faster than the residential real estate space. I mean, that lockbox is so old school. You should be able to go to somewhere, enter a code in or from your phone. It just opens up the door and like has way more technology inside the home to let you know what's going on than exists today. And like, do you really have to go there with your buyer's agent? Or can you do a self-guided tour of a home because maybe there's some cameras or ID like identity verification. I love access. I think it's, you know, one of the most underrated industries in prop tech Mm -hmm. and um, it needs to happen in the resident, like open door already does it. You can schedule a tour of home 24 seven. Yeah. Like that's going to happen. But it's it's a perceived risk, and Airbnb dealt with it, and you know solved. There, there's a lot of tech, a lot of IoT that has gone everywhere except for in the the residential transaction, which is very interesting. Um, you know, the, in the storage space, they make locks that are purely offline; they they don't even go online, uh, and the codes are preset. So there's a it just a massive database within the lock itself and it just it can alternate the code and then if you wanted to reset the code you know it could be done by uh, by just by bluetooth uh and so when someone pays they have all the app and the app is what gives them the authentication to the to the lock and then the lock cycles to the next combination and so then now it's a secure lock for that customer uh and it doesn't even need internet you know that's what i know somebody somebody tried to explain that to me and like my brain just like disintegrated on the spot. I'm like, wait, it has codes, a database. There's no power to it's, it. There's yeah. no, like, it's pretty wild. Yeah. And then even uh, you talk about access, there's a company called Sugar 
uh, Sugar Living. And uh, one of the things that, uh, and Fatima, the founder, she'll be coming on the show here in a few weeks. And um, one of the things that they do is really uh, clever is that uh, to allow access for someone else to come into the building, you know, instead of putting cameras on and retrofitting all these old multifamily buildings that we have that you can't just do easily, you can actually make it just a QR code. And then within the browser, it does the camera for the person who's at the door, but they can't see the resident. And even to call the resident, they have to know either which apartment number and name, and you can set the criteria so there's levels of security. And so the resident yeah, can so let the person in based on who they are, uh, but the person who's trying to get in, you know, their level of security seeing inside the building is all controlled yeah. at the either resident or the manager level. So it's really smart. That doesn't require both to have the app. The only one has yeah. to have the app. I don't know how long we have here. I mean, I could go on for the next <laughs> five days on access. I also think, you know, like I, I, I am so passionate about pricing. We built dynamic pricing systems at Say Alfred. We sold them mm-hmm. to uh, publicly traded companies. And I, I love pricing because there's so many v- variables that come into it. And it seems like a really simple thing to, to have. But, you know, what happens if what's your home now worth if interest rates go up a percent or a percent and a half or there's more inventory or less inventory or Russia, you know, does something different. Like there, there's just so many factors that go into home pricing. Yeah. All pricing. We don't have all night. I do have uh, sausage (laughs) and bacon on the smoker. Uh, So it's going to be a good dinner. We're going to move into the last three here. Jordan, these are questions. So our listeners get to know you personally a little bit more. What are you reading? Um, so I, uh, have never been like fully diagnosed with, uh, ADD or ADHD. So I like to read more like kind of snippets, but I've just been, you know, uh, all as much about, you know, residential real estate. I love reading all the Inman articles, figuring out what's going on. I get all my updates from like Google alerts on, uh, you know, for the national association of realtors and just trying to figure out like, where's this market Mm -hmm. moving? As far as books, it'd just be boring. I'm kind of net. I could tell you what I'm watching on Netflix. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. That's okay. I mean, I know your favorite podcasts. I didn't want to say that to like serve myself a softball here. I assumed, you know, but. Oh, yeah. There we go. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Techna. Sorry. Obviously. Maybe one of these days I'll start writing and then people can actually read my, my thoughts. Uh, probably not. So uh, question number two here. Who are you learning from? You know, one of my uh, one of my superpowers is I reach out to a lot of people in my network and find as many trusted advisors as I can and uh, ask them their feedback. So, you know, our board, I lean very heavily on. We've got an absolutely all-star board, but also people that have kind of been there, done that. Like, uh, you know, I try to look upwards of people that have, you know, succeeded in business and... Um, you know, we have Chris Heller, former uh, CEO of Keller Williams, is on our board. Don Lyon, former chief communications officer from from Zillow. Uh, you know, Chris Herndon from the Guild, and you know, I got Jeff Thomas from. Uh, he's a six time public and private CEO, and he's he's out of Spokane. The guy's just brilliant. Wow, stacked. Uh, you've surrounded yourself. Trying. Last one here. What inspires you? You know. Um, it's not like money doesn't do it for me. I'm a JC Penney's discount rack 
a clothing kind of a person. Uh, well, that's embarrassing. You could have said cold. I mean, it's I'll go. But I'm I. It's I do get embarrassing. Like I like wearing the same shirt every day. <laughs> um, you know, I want to I want to build the pyramids. I want to have a, a group of people around me that are willing to do the the hard but right thing. And you know, maybe maybe this doesn't yeah. work out. Like maybe you know we're on the wave. I don't think we're too early, but we're I you know. Uh, we're definitely not too late, but you know, there's still just like timing, luck, all the stars need to align for something really magical to happen. Yeah. And there's so many threats that could come in and, and prevent what we're doing. But I do feel like somebody's going to do this and like, why not be us? Like, you know, so having that belief uh, that, that we're going to be the ones that take this to the dreamland. It's awesome. Jordan, thank you for setting aside the time to do this. Uh, I, I've really enjoyed this conversation and yeah, we probably could have gone on forever about new tech and things, but, but seriously, I can smell no, I love it. it's coming in from outside here. Before we close out, I'm going to give people an opportunity to connect with you uh, or learn more about Dorsey. Where do they go and how do they do that? Um, yeah, so uh, I'll just give you my email address. It's jordan at dorsey.com and email me. It's uh, D-O-O-R-S-E-Y. And uh, that's the best way. And please yeah, so feel free to reach out. Like I'm, in, in, I'm incredibly responsive on email and text. If you ever uh, call me, I probably won't answer because ninety percent of my phone calls are spam at this point. Try to buy so one of my little properties. In, in ten years, when 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 Dorsey goes public, right now, all of us can then screenshot our email, right, and be yeah. like, uh, you know, that with with Jordan, you know, I emailed him back then, um, and then they can brag about how. They well, got do you know what's funny is. A lot of uh, Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb, is like, you know, when I first started, my cell phone number was on like some of the listings in the helpline, and <laughs> I still get phone calls from people because they don't real. I mean, he's he's a super humble guy as well, but you know, pretty cool that he still gets phone calls from. Hosts. He never changed his phone number. No, I am hitting the Wayback Machine tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Web Archive tonight. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Let's see what happens. What's the worst that could happen? Well, appreciate <laughs> it. Um, thanks so much for for doing this. this is a lot of fun. And awesome. uh, keep me posted on the future auctions. We'll need. We should set up. We should do a live viewing party. We should. We should get someone that. in with I'd this and to. do some live streaming or something. This would be interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can get some celebrities' house just to there make it that much better. Okay, sounds good. Awesome. I appreciate. It. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Nate. Bye. Well, thanks for listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. You can always get future episodes delivered to you directly by subscribing to the podcast in your favorite app store. You can also join the newsletter. Head over to technest.io or finledger.com slash newsletters to get all future episodes, updates, and more sent to you right into your inbox. Last but not least, we appreciate your support. Please go ahead and give us a rating and review in your app store. This helps others discover the podcast and know that it's a great worthy listen. We'll see you next week.